All right, guys, it's Friday, which means it's time to talk GPP strategy. This is one of my favorite shows to do. We will talk about the week five slate, but I like getting into more macro GPP strategy concepts. And today I'm bringing my friend TJ Hernandez from 4 for 4, a DFS wizard. We're going to talk through everything that's going on with him in DFS these days, talk strategy, all kinds of stuff like that. Let's do it. I suffer from a debilitating condition known is a tropic shockitis. Peter's one of the greatest depositors I've ever seen. Trust the process. Let's go. Let's go. I got auto match with Levitan. This is bullshit. If I just go the other way in that 66, I win all the money. All the money. If I had 150 lineups, I'd win too. Process over results. Hey everyone. I forgot that that intro might be triggering for you because you have famously said you were forced to change the intro to DFS MVP because of that TikTok. Oh man, that 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 hit home and it's it's seriously one of the best tweets. It's the best tweet of the pandemic and it was it was so triggering for me i yeah i had to go to a generic intro i changed my whole content plan because of that one tweet believe it or not uh tj when i made that tiktok i didn't have you in mind uh that's okay, okay. i have n- i have no feelings to hurt but uh yeah for for those that don't know like the whole dfs mvp that, that i do it for from four like our our intro was like kind of bait like our our big hook was like we have cool hip-hop music we make this spotify playlist check us out and that came out and i was like oh no this is this is bad i promise uh i was i remember when i got the idea for that tiktok i was folding laundry and listening to a podcast and i just immediately had the idea after an intro that and i i will again say it was not your podcast no no you you hit the the you your your inflections hit um home for lots of people i think i don't think i think there's lots of uh, um very uh distinct voices in that intro that's right. Uh, so how is your, uh, how's your DFS season, uh, been going so far this year? Um, well it, it's going as you might expect for, um, kind of the strategy that I switched to, um, this season. Um, one thing that I, I really focused on this year was switching to some, um, higher stake, lower entry stuff. So kind of naturally, um, we're going just to have, we're, we're looking for these big spike weeks, right? If you're only playing a couple high stakes tournaments and, and only have one or two lineups a week, like, you know, through three or four weeks, um, we're going to have some zeros. So like, I haven't hit yet. Like my cash games are doing fine, but I'm just really focusing on, um, these bigger single entry tournaments. So you're just, you're not going to hit them um, every single week. Like, like you might, if you're playing a bunch of lineups. Yeah. What are your, what are your favorite contests, uh, to play right now? So it, I don't know if you've caught this, but every week I, I kind of send um, I send a tweet out that looks at um, the contest structure. So I'm actually not playing one contest every week. Um, both DraftKings and FanDuel kind of fluctuate what they offer. Um, when DraftKings does offer their 555 single entry, that's always a really good tournament I like. Um, they have a 200 and a 300 single entry that are pretty good. Um, and then Fandle has a 535 that's really nice. Um, and then they just started this, I believe it's the 777 that I haven't played yet, but it's really unique. It's like 40 something people depending on the week. Um, and it pays out like 
40% of the field. So it kind of plays like a double up with upside. Like I think first place is only like 4k or something like that. Um, but those like big 500 and up with like 200 or less people have kind of been my go-tos. And again, I'm, I'm only playing like one or two lineups per site. Uh, so when you're doing that, um, yeah, it's just going to be, it's going to be higher variance, like on a weekly level. But I, I think in, over the course of a season, um, you're probably going to see similar, if not better results. So when you say you're playing one to two lineups, you, you have just an extremely tight core and you might just uh, pivot a few things, but then put those in all of those single entry contests you like. Yeah, a, a really tight, tight core of, of values that I'm targeting. Um, and I'm, I'm still like building around like you would for kind of traditional MME. I'm still building around certain game game stacks and, and um, game flows that I'm targeting. And, and sometimes maybe even to um, more extreme. I mean, because what when we're playing against 200 people and a lot of times 200 really sharp people, um, you don't need a, a top like 1% lineup, right? If if the the millie say is scoring 250 points um you can take down one of these higher stakes tournaments with like 200 points sometimes less um so you need like maybe a, a 90th percentile score so you can kind of focus in on on a couple games a couple correlations that you really like and if if those hit um you're going to to jump the field a lot than just trying to get every single spot perfect which you have to do if you're playing something like a a millionaire anything that's really over man anything really really over like 5000 people it feels like you have to be perfect Yep. Yeah. We've been talking about that a lot, uh, on the show this year, contest selection. I showed on my Monday bankroll challenge. I played like all the spies at the different sizes, the 5,000, the 2000, and I had a min cash in the 700 person spy that wouldn't have cashed in any of the other ones. And it's just a very simple thing about how you almost can. I like that, uh, analogy of treating it like a double up with upside there when you get in those smaller contests. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm actually glad you mentioned that, um, that, that you min cashed and, and had, um, you know, if you're min cashing in these higher stakes tournaments, especially if you're, you're new to them, um, you want to be able to, to recognize some decent return when you do min cash. Right. So one thing, when I say I'm looking at the tournament structures, um, I I'm, I'm seeking out flatter payout structures and I know there, there are two sides of it because when you, when you do hit or come in first place, you want to maximize your upside. So a lot of people do want to chase that upside, but at the same time, um, it's really hard to come in first place. And more often than not, when we do cash, it's going to be somewhere in that, like slightly above a min cash or, or even if you're top 10, you want to also want to maximize your payouts there. So I'm, I'm looking for flatter payout structures. I'm looking at how much of the money's going to first place, how much you make when you min cash, how much you make if, 10th place versus first place. And I think all those things matter because it does add up. And, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be chasing upside because that's a whole point of, of playing GPPs. But you know, if I'm, if I'm playing something for 500 bucks and, and I min cash and I only, my, my ROI is like still less than 50% on that min cash. It's, it's um, I, I don't think it's, the best way to maintain what you're trying to do. And, and you kind of lop off some of that variance. So I'm paying attention to all those things. And sometimes I'll get away from it. There's tournaments that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll like because of the juicy upside, but I'm trying to pay attention to those structures as much as possible and find the best ones for myself. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the eternal thing that we're always wrestling with is we all want the bank. We all want that big payoff, but we also have to stay solvent. We have to have a bank yeah, to yeah. stay in the game and yeah. be able to keep playing each week. And speaking of good tournaments and speaking of nice payout structures. So the people at DraftKings did hook us up with a rake free 
league for the deposit kingdom. I, I have the chat or the link pinned in the chat here. It's $10 rake free. Um, the payout structure, nice and flat here, 350 up top, a little over a hundred spots remaining. TJ, yeah. tell the people why it's very important to, uh, enter any of these tournaments that are rake free when you can get them. I mean, it's, it's essentially free money, right? Like we're, if we're talking about these, um, these tournament structures, what we're really talking about is an expected value on our money. And the expected value means the most money um, in the prize pool available. And one thing, the way the sites make money is they take money from your buy-ins. Um, so when they're leaving all of that money in, um, all of those buy-ins in, not only does it add to the upside of the tournament, but more people are able to cash. It makes it easier to cash. It's very analogous to what I'm sure you've talked about chasing overlay when we're looking for tournaments where it doesn't fill. If you have a rake-free tournament, we're basically getting a free overlay tournament. Um, so it's huge. Yeah, so Cameron's asking rake-free here. So normally you can see right yep. here, it's $10 to enter. And we have 350 entries. Our total prizes is, is 3,500. If you go look at uh, any other tournament on DraftKings, the amount of entries times the uh, the buy-in is actually going to be lower, or sorry, higher than the prizes offered because that's what they're charging you to play this no. tournament. And the same thing if you play poker, it's familiar, right? Where you're you're sitting at the table and you see the dealer grab some out of the pot and pull it over to the side. That's the rake. Yeah. And so. What Oh, go ahead, TJ. What's the buy-in for this tournament? Ten dollars. Yeah. So let's let I me mean, let's look at at the let's look at the slant on um on yeah. DraftKings. They they charge a fifteen percent rake for that. So with thirty nine thousand people in it, the buy-ins are three hundred fifty three thousand dollars. The prize pool is three hundred thousand dollars. $50,000 is coming out of that. So when you could find these tournaments where all of the money is staying in, that's just more money for you. Yep. Exactly. Um, and yeah, just to clarify, yes. Yeah, so this week DraftKings spun up that tournament for me on Wednesday, I believe. So I did have the other deposit kingdom league going. Uh, if nice. you want to withdraw from that, that's fine. That isn't a rake free. It's just a good $200 or sorry, $10, 200 man contest going forward. The rake free tournament will be the exclusive tournament that we're running. So, uh, I don't begrudge anyone if they, uh, only want to play in one of those. If you are going to play in one play in the rake free one. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you, uh, TJ mentioned it earlier too, but he does do this tweet every week where he looks at these structures. And I know it's not the sexy part of DFS. I'm very guilty of this, of being lazy and not seeking out the best possible structures all the time. But it is really one of those ways where you can make sure you can stay in the game and not get bludgeoned to death by the rake. <laughs> Yeah, and and it's really important that we we pay attention to them on a weekly level because, like for example, um, the end zone on on DraftKings this week it's a seventy five dollar buy in four hundred fifty people. It went from one of the the worst structures last week, just in terms of and when I say worst, I just mean it wasn't flat. One of the, I should say most top heavy payout structures to one of the flattest payout structures this week, just by tweaking it a little bit. Um, $75 buy-in, 450 people, 25% uh, of the money is going to first. You can still get three grand um, if you if you come in first, um, but 15%, uh, 10th place is 15% of that first place price. So it's a really flat structure. A huge percentage of the field is being paid out. Um, not a big field at all. So it, they do change um, quite a bit every site. So make sure you're not just like looking at the buy-in level and the name of the game and saying, oh, that's a good structure this week. So I'm going to play every week for the rest of the year because they do fluctuate a bit. 
Yeah, this is a good suggestion from Roto Grinders. Uh, mm -hmm. They do have this Chrome extension if you're one of their premium members yep. that show uh, the percentage that get paid, the percentage yep. of the rake, all that to top first uh, and top 10 there. So that's a good way of looking at it. And I think this is an awesome analogy by Drico here as far as talking about rake free. It's the same as having 15% dead lineups versus a comparable DK tournament. So imagine 15% yep. of the field played all inactive guys that yeah. that's what you're looking at. It's just less competition essentially. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's like, it's, it's just like I talked about with overlay when we have overlay, if, if they, if it's a guaranteed prize pool and um, you know, they promise to pay out 25% of the field, if only 75% of the tournament fields now, I don't know what the math is, but like 33% or 40% of the fields being paid out instead of 25%. Um, so yeah, exactly the same thing. Um, yeah, so we'll uh, we'll keep preaching uh, contest selection. Someone mentioned uh, the Pat Mayo tournament is another rake-free one on DraftKings. That's a $15 three max. Uh, I know Holka has a rake-free tournament yep. up on FanDuel. I mean, these are the ones you got to be seeking out. Uh, one, one other leak in my game is I have been playing exclusively DraftKings <laughs> and pretty much single-entry three max, partly because I just don't feel like my brain is good enough to kind of like toggle back and forth from all these things. Like I like looking at my set of numbers. Yeah. How do you kind of make that leap um, from playing both sites and knowing how the strategy and the pricing can be so different? Um, I've been playing nonstop since both sites started. Uh, but in, in all seriousness, I mean, there is a, there, there's a really big difference in, um, in site structures and, and how you build your team and, and scoring. So, I'm, I guess I'm lucky enough that because I spend so much time analyzing this and NFL is the only game I'm playing in the off season. Um, it does kind of come second nature to me, the differences in, in the scoring and the structures, but you do have to be really cognizant of things. Like if you are jumping back and forth, um, differences in ownership percentages, difference in, in player types and, and, and game types that are going to fit into, um, into your lineups. I mean, I, I guess a, a super simple example is DraftKings is, is full PPR with the bonus and, and Fandle isn't, right? So, and, and salary structures are just very different, but we'll start with scoring. I mean, on DraftKings, volume can often make up for um, for game flow, whereas on Fandle, especially in tournaments, we see um, more correlated lineups, bigger game stacks, more players that are correlated with other players than we do on DraftKings. And I, I think that kind of speaks to the fact that um, it, it's the scoring system, the half PPR without a bonus really does fit more of, of finding game flows or DraftKings. If, you know, if, if you have a receiver that's getting 15 targets, he doesn't necessarily need to be um, in the game flow. And then the, the salary structure is it's a whole different conversation. I mean, DraftKings salary structure is so tight. Fandles uh, is so loose that we've really seen s some, some interesting things going on this year, especially on DraftKings. And, and we could get into that a little bit if you want. Yeah, no, I, I definitely want to uh, to dig into some of that stuff. And like I said, that's a leak in my game. And I, I do need to be taking advantage of some of these, these other spots. But I, I'm also torn because I do think in general, being a specialist is the way to go. Like if we were really just only cared about EV, we would probably focus all of our time on a Yahoo <laughs> format or no, yeah, yeah. second half showdown. But it's like, we're again, we're trying to balance what's fun. Most of the content is about DraftKings and then yeah. to a lesser extent FanDuel. So it's, it's hard to thread that needle of chasing EV, but also making it not a complete chore and an enjoyable experience. 
I, I would say if, if you are, especially if you're a newer player um, in NFL, we only have so many trials, right? There's only <clears throat> 17 weeks and, and a lot of people are only playing the main slate. I, I would say that there's probably something to be said if, if you haven't been doing this as, as long as we have, and, and you're just kind of jumping in to giving up a little quote unquote EV and tournament structure and just really understanding the game that you're trying to play. So whether it is FanDuel or DraftKings, I think there is something to be said for just sticking to that and and mastering that game um, as best you can, whatever your favorite game is. It doesn't have to be a, a high stakes GPP. It might be cash games. It, you know, it might be triple F, whatever you're trying to play. I think sticking to one site um, at least for, for a while, uh, I, I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, for sure. When, so now when you said the thing that's always curious for me when you're only playing a couple of lineups, yep. are, are you starting, you know, we talk when I talk with kind of Leone and stuff, he is generally saying he's starting with his best or favorite leverage point on the slate. Mm-hmm. It might yep. be a specific game. It might be specific players. Where, where are you starting when you know you're only going to have one or two lineups? Is it with a game environment or could it be with a specific leverage play? I... <sighs> I guess I'm kind of thinking about these things at the same time. If if I had to say where I'm starting, um, I would say I'm starting with the game environment and and then fitting in my um, my favorite leverage plays after that. I mean, but I'm I'm kind of it, it goes. It actually ties into something that happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, I, I'm kind of choosing my game environments around um, what what I think is going to happen in terms of who's going to be rostering who within my tournament. So. For example, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the, the week Josh Allen went off, I, I wasn't on Josh Allen, not because I didn't think he was going to have a great week, but because I kind of him projected him as, as a as a chalkier play. He ended up being like the, the fifth or sixth most popular quarterback on the slate. So I had a, a pool of game environments that I was very interested in. And the way I like to build is I'm generally going with a a slightly more contrarian game environment, building around some of the better values on the slate, especially like at running backs, because the better values of chalkier players on the slate are going to often be the best plays. That's why they are the, the best values in, in chalk on the slate. So by getting um, contrarian on my stack, I just have to be right in less instances, right? If I choose a, a slightly contrarian game and have three or four players from that game, if I hit there, I'm, I'm lapping the field pretty much. Um, so yeah. that's kind of how I'm, I'm thinking about it. So uh, I, I would say I'm, I'm starting with my game environments, but because I, I tend to be looking for leverage spots in those game environments, I'm kind of doing both things at the same time. Yeah. One of, one of the most difficult things I've been dealing with this uh, season is uh, how to decide between, like, once you hone in on those game environments, I feel like every single week, and this week is the exact same, it's the same story with Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. Both are going to be sub-10%. Yeah. Both are going to come in under a certain amount of ownership. You have to pay more, or, or similar ownership. You have to pay more for Jefferson. And, like, when you're in these situations where the two plays are so similar, I would say like mm-hmm. even like the Christian Kirk, AJ Green, Rondell Moore, trifecta yeah. and stuff. Are you, when you land on those situations and things are so equal, is this when you are kind of splitting your exposures or or how do you think about where your specific targets are once you settle on a game environment? Uh, so I actually want to want to touch on on that um, exact thing you, you said before I, I answer that specific question. You mentioned that like, whatever, Arizona and, and Rondell Moore versus Vikings or something like that. Um, one thing that 
is really noticeable this year in, in tournaments is that we've had very flat ownership and ownership projections. Um, we just haven't had these teams that are commanding like, uh, like, like a 20% quarterback and a 40% wide receiver. We haven't had the, the free square running back. That's like in 50% of lineups at the most. And I'm using just millionaire, um, millionaire ownerships just for for ease obviously they're gonna be a lot different in these single entry tournaments but the the point is going to remain the same <clears throat> the the highest we've seen is guys in like 30 percent of lineups right so what that means is our projections are becoming at least right now our ownership projections are much more fragile and this is where i made the big mistake on josh allen a few weeks ago when we're looking at ownerships, what we really care about, especially when we're targeting these stacks, is the relative ownership, right? Because not too many quarterbacks are going to be in 20% of lineups. A lot of times we're projecting if if you have Josh Allen projected as the most popular quarterback at 12%, he's only 3% more than the, the quarterback five in projections, maybe or quarterback six in ownership projections. So the point is, if our ownership projections are fragile because of flat ownership, we should be taking that into account by having more exposure to what we think is the best in ga game environment. Even if we do think that might be a little chalky because what can happen, we can get to Sunday and all of a sudden Josh Allen's the fifth, sixth most popular expensive quarterback. I put too much weight on him being the most popular quarterback. And now I'm, I'm down, even though I had his point projection, right? Even though I had the highest point projection on him and his team, I was off on the ownership projection. So if we're going to treat our, point projections as fragile and be building our tournaments uh, like that we should be treating our at least in the environment right now where we have these really flat ownerships and nobody's over 25 percent we should be treating our ownership projections as fragile and um maybe putting less weight into them and more weight into the game environments we like and being more willing to take our stands and being more willing to just plant our flags and hope that they come in as the fifth, sixth most popular player, fifth, sixth most popular offense. Um, Cause we can be wrong in those things. And a lot of projections have been off this year because they are bunched so tight together. Yeah. And that that's been a dynamic we've talked about a lot this year too. And especially cause I'm, I'm mainly consuming GPP content and I'm not listening to a lot of other stuff. So what happens yeah. to me is it's like, you do the first look, everyone runs their first set of optimals mm -hmm. and we're like, all right, this is going to be the chalk. You know, it was like last week, it was like, okay, Dallas, Carolina, this is going to be the chalk by the end of the week. All the GPP bros are like, no, we're going KC Philadelphia. And yeah. then in our yeah. small field contest, the chalk basically yep. flips and then, you yep. know, Carolina and, yeah. you know, those guys come in lesser owned than we would have ever anticipated. Yeah. Um, and I, I think uh, the, I think the GP pros are, are, are kind of, it's, it's turning into a leveling game, right? Like you, you mentioned poker. It's like, I know what he has and he knows what I have. So this is what I'm going to do if he thinks I have this and it's how, how deep can you go into it? And I, I think it kind of ends up coming first full circle where, if we are landing on these game environments, um, like you said, the spots that we can figure out suddenly become um, these single players that we're adding in that that we know are going to add the most leverage. When I say the most leverage, um, there, there are plays where, let's say a, a Cooper Cup is going to be the most popular player of the game. Um, 
if somebody else in that game is not only going to be a leverage on Coop, Cooper Cup, maybe it's the opposing running back. If that opposing running back is also going to be leverage on one of his popular receivers as well, but also going to be a, a price pivot off of a who we know is going to be a chalky running back, then like those one-off plays, and this is something I talked about earlier in the year as well, not just looking for leverage spots, but looking for spots or single players that can add the most leverage. So someone that's a price pivot, a leverage off of his teammate, and maybe a leverage off of the opposing teammate. Now we're getting leverage from in three different spots off of one player instead of saying, oh, I'm this player is going to be a pivot off of this player. That's one leverage spot. Now I'm going to try to figure out all these other ones. Kind of similar to game environment, right? We can be um we we can benefit from the most chaos in one spot. For sure. And I don't know if you felt this way. I felt like last week was just a, a horrible GPP week. Everything, the yeah. ownership was so flat. It was so spread out. I didn't have any direct spots I wanted to gravitate to. I ended up gravitating to that Minnesota Cleveland game. I did like that environment, but as far as like chalk players, like no one was running over 20%. There mm -hmm. were no big, you know, individual teammate leverage spots this week though. I mean, I'm getting very excited because the leverage spots seem, seem very obvious this week. Um, I, I, I think in weeks like last week, it kind of ties into what we, um, what we're talking about in terms of when you can't predict what's going to happen, just kind of sticking to your guns. Um, this week, are, are, are you thinking everybody's going to be on the Dallas game um, to a lesser extent on Tampa Bay? Is that kind of where you're looking? Well, to me, it was actually more individual player thing. Okay. So it's like Derrick Henry, I think is going to approach 30%. Yep. All of a sudden, AJ Brown's off the practice report. And he's been out of sight, out of mind. I'm seeing him at about 5% right now. Like that's yeah. a dream leverage spot. We have Devonte Adams. Who's going to approach 25% ownership. Aaron Jones is going to be at about 5% ownership, another dream leverage spot. So those are some that I've started to get excited about. Yeah. And this is also a super unique week in that um, we have a lot of the premier players off the main slate, right? Like we have, I think the, the top three projected quarterbacks of four for four are on the main slate. Like five of the top eight projected quarterbacks aren't in the main slate. Um, Tyreek's not on the main slate. Cooper cup's not on the main slate, the Seahawks. So guys like Devonte and guys like um, I, I think Dak and, and Kyler are going to, we're going to see their ownerships higher than we have seen some of these premier players because uh, Derek Henry, again, because there aren't a lot of the big name players are off the main slate. Um, so yeah, there, there are going to be some pretty big leverage opportunities, um, this week, Aaron Jones, we've seen him be that, that you mentioned, we've seen him be a, a huge leverage spot multiple times. Um, uh, when Devonte goes off, I, I think it was week two last year was a very similar situation. I think it was even more extreme. Devonte was like 40%. I have Devonte at 25% right now on DraftKings and Aaron Jones at seven and a half, I believe. Yep. Yeah. And uh, another one, too, that jumps out to me is just with Leonard Fournette, uh, probably going to be the second highest owned running back mm -hmm. on the slate unless Damian Williams or P. Ryan get crazy steam. But you can go to the passing game there. Like a Brady Evans is coming very low yep. owned. Brate doesn't seem like he's getting steam that hard. So like the leverage spots just seem so nice this week. Um, one one that I really like it. One, one way that I like to look at leverage is looking at, um, cumulative ownership. So on four for four, we project ownership of all the offensive players, but we also break it down by passing it. Um, and one spot that I think is really interesting is we have the Dallas passing game as the most popular cumulative passing game. And I, I think um, 
Amari and, and CD um, and, and maybe to a lesser extent, Dalton Schultz might cannibalize each other's ownership a little bit, but as a unit, they're going, they project as the most popular passing game. I like looking at spots like that and looking at someone like Saquon Barkley, where I can play him um, opposite that and only maybe run like a mini stack and only have one of those Cowboys Cowboys pass catchers, hopefully hit on the right one. Obviously we're gambling a bit there, but instead of loading up on Dallas, like a lot of people might try to do um, just taking one of the pass catchers or maybe taking, well, I think Zeke might actually start getting a little bit popular, but getting Saquon on the other side. Yeah. Uh, I do think uh, Saquon makes a ton of sense and you see him just when you are, I'm just using the simple uh, stack tool here on mm -hmm. run the Sims. You can kind of put in for these various game stacks. So I just have it as Dallas quarterback with two pass catchers and then bringing it back with anyone on the giants. And I, I, my guess is Ingram's going to be the chalky bring back and Saquon yes. might be yeah. the more Which creative one. Crazy to me. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I almost tweeted explain Ingram to uh, Evan Ingram to me, like I'm five. And then I was like, I don't feel like dealing with giants fans today. I mean, the thing, I, I guess I'm just so binary with this stuff where it's like, if Evan Ingram was going to be, you know, less than 5%, I would love him as a cheap bring back, but I'm seeing yeah. about like 15% right now. Yeah. And, and we have a ton of good value tight ends this week, which hasn't been the case. So I do, I don't see any reason to mess with Ingram at that ownership. Um, no. And, and, um, while we were talking, there was another spot that I want to talk about in this game, and I can't remember. Oh, um, the Dallas defense. I think they're super yeah. interesting just because they're favored by seven. Um, they're relatively cheap on both sides, and people are just going to look at them and, and say that they're a, they're a bad defense in real life. Um, but, I mean, the Giants throw a lot in neutral game script. They're going to be behind big, and Daniel Jones just had a good game, so now everybody thinks Daniel Jones is good. Um, we've seen Daniel Jones be really bad, right? And when teams get up big, that's when we see a lot of fantasy points. So I think that's a really interesting way to get leverage on entire games that are going to be popular because points are also scored by defense and special teams, right? So if the, if the game script completely flips because – the Cowboys get like a defensive touchdown. Everything slows down. Now you got their defensive touchdown and all of their offensive players basically like lost a whole drive, if not more. Um, so that's an interesting way to leverage games as well. For sure. And again, one nice thing we talk about uh, late swap a bunch. We have some nice options. And the fact that this Dallas New York Giants game is late is yeah. very helpful because there's almost like three different ways you can play it, right? Where, if you are crushing and you have some of these pieces, you let it ride. Yes. You know, if you're say maybe a bit of a tweener, like you have some good stuff, but you don't feel like you're taking down a tournament. Maybe you pivot within that game and you're on yeah. like uh Galladay and Zeke or something because you like that game, but want to get unique, or you can just fully get off of it. You can go to Cleveland LAC as a pivot. You can go over to a Darren Waller as a pivot. So I think this sets up as a, as a pretty nice, nice late swap week. Yeah, we we had a very similar situation. I think was it week two that the Chiefs and the Chargers were playing each other um, on on the late on the late slate. Um, I'm not sure if that if that's exactly the game it was, but the point is when we do have the game that we expect to be super chalky late, uh, the one thing that I think you should make sure that you're doing is whoever is going to be um, whoever your biggest leverage plays are. That assuming you're if if you are stacking the game, whatever it might be. If your biggest leverage plays are on the early slate, 
you want them early because then we have a ton of information, right? If they whiff, then we can just bail on, on Dallas altogether because we're already contrarian and missed. So now the only way we're catching the field is if we just go completely off the rails late, right? Yeah. Um, but like you said, then if if our contrarian spots early hit, now we're sitting pretty because now we're already ahead of the field. And if we have exposure to this Dallas Giants game late, nobody's catching us, right? Because they're trying to catch us with the with the players that we have already. So if you are going to do that, I, I think you want your most contrarian spots to be early. You don't want to have, I, I don't know who like some crazy leverage in a late game, but you don't know what to do with it because you still have so many people that are going to be playing Cowboys and Giants. Yeah. And that's why I love, like I talked about some of those situation, Henry versus AJ Brown or Aaron mm -hmm. Jones versus uh, Devonte Adams. Like we get that information at 1 PM, you know, if your contrarian play hit and if the chalk flopped, you know, if I bank on an AJ Brown, Aaron Jones lineup, I can probably roll with a, exactly, with a exactly. You don't even have to, you don't have to change anything because you're already yeah. so far ahead of the field, just in terms of, of real points and just equity wise, because nobody has that combination. Right. Right. And then to the flip side, say I eat the chalk and I play Derrick Henry and Devonte Adams. Uh, granted, you wouldn't be able to fit a Dak double stack with those two guys. <laughs> but if you if those hit, that's great for you. But you still don't know where you're at. Exactly. Going exactly. against the field they, because they all are going to have the chalk plays, too. And so now it's just like, all right, let's all move along. We've all you know, are just going to play this next five V five and in, in four p.m. or whatever. Yeah. And, and I'm actually you just kind of reminded me of, of something that that you um, said with you have all these chalk players um, with what we've seen in ownership with the ownership being so flat, like our target ownership on, on our lineups. I don't know if you've built this way, but like in the past, we've kind of been targeting like a, a cumulative ownership, like an average of 15% average ownership across all of your players. It's down to like nine or 10% right now because it's really hard to get up to that average ownership um, of 15% when, when the most popular players are only 22%, 23%, right? So if you're setting, if you're using a lineup generator, for example, which I know you and I would never do or hand-built for life, but if you're using a lineup generator and, and setting your exposure at like um, average 15%, you're going to be way too high. You need your average exposure to be down at like 9, 9 or 10% right now. Yeah, and I, I've been talking about this on the showdown crams. And one thing I'm I'm loving about Run the Sims for those is they're now showing us both cumulative own and product own. And yeah. one thing I've been really trying to hammer home and being careful with the cumulative own because I do think people we like having rules, right? It just it makes <laughs> things easier. Like, oh, you always want to be under 200 percent cumulative yeah. own. But the thing I keep saying is, you know, two guys that are 30 percent owned adding up to 60% is way different than a 58% owned guy exactly. and a 2% guy. Yes, so yes. I think you got to be very, like you said, slate specific. How, where yep. are these ownerships falling in? And you might have to throw it out the window if it's yeah. a, a slate where it's completely spread out. Yeah. I mean, you really, you really are throwing it out the window because like I said, on, on one side, um, the, the, the cumulative ownership is, is, um, going to be low, but on the other side, you're not going to have like, uh, if you're taking the most chalky player on the slate and that player is 24%, like it's really not that chalky, right? So you can afford to have two or three, two or even three of those players in your lineup um, and still get really, really unique because there's going to be a ton of players under 10%. And we're seeing that like every, I think last week there were like 
four players in the DraftKings Millionaire that were over 20%, and I think maybe like 16 or 17 over 10%. Like, that's crazy. That's like the most flat ownership we've ever seen in tournaments. Yeah. How are you, you know, one of the questions that I see come up a lot because we are often talking about small field, single entry stuff mm -hmm. and the ownership percentages do come in very differently. And then yeah. it can be even exaggerated with late swap because uh, yeah. everyone makes the trendy late swap to DK Metcalf two weeks ago and he comes in higher owned than I think yeah. Cooper Cup in yeah. some of these. So yeah. it's like, how do you think about um, either with math or just by feel adjusting for ownership? because it is the contests we're playing are so different than the Millie maker. Um, I, I, what it, it is a lot by feel. And I try to, I try to track them both and, and compare them. The, the tough thing in these smaller um, fields is that there is a lot more variance in what we'll see in the ownership percentage because it's less people, right? So if, if three extra people decide to swap to the DK Metcalf, um, that could boost his ownership up like quite a few percentage points. Whereas in, um, in a large field, like the millionaire, like a, a lot of late swaps are going to have to happen. So I'm kind of doing it by feel. And a lot of times, luckily one of the, the bonuses of playing in these smaller fields is if you're, if you're late swapping, it's either because you're really dead in the water and you're, um, you can just go off the rails or you're pretty close to a good score and you don't have that many people ahead of you. And in those cases, when there's only 200 people, it can be relatively easy to look at the lineups around you and get a good idea of um, where they're at and where your pivots can be. So you can go in there and, and do some uh, reverse engineering and looking at other lineups. But um, a lot of times it's just looking at the, other names in the tournament and getting used to the players you're a lot of times if you're playing in a 200 man $500 buy-in it's it's the same names every single week um kind of trying to figure out get a feel for what these guys are doing and who's swapping to what um so way less math than those I think a lot more feel yeah and uh, I do think it is very helpful you know TJ used the term you know these levels um it is helpful to listen to the GPP content out there listen to the uh, dfs mvp listen yeah. to blender and listen to leone and dink over on etr because the majority of people in our small field mid to higher stakes contests are listening to this content and so yeah. it is going to drive and dictate these things and then you can kind of be out ahead of the level game and ask yourself wait is this dk metcalf pivot actually going to be as sneaky as the early ownership sure. indicated yep yeah. Um, I mean, I, if, if you're not doing those things, you're doing yourself a disservice. And, and a lot of times, I mean, I, I think people will, um, might hear some of those, the analysis and, and, and then look at lineups and it might not match up exactly. I mean, the fact of the matter is when Sunday morning comes, when we're building like things kind of change on the fly. Right. So there's also that variance to it too. And I, I think, um, there, that is, that kind of goes back to, if you are doing your own research independent of these um, independent of content and, and building lineups before you get into these things, I think you're kind of going to be naturally contrarian when you are building and researching um, without others input, because you're just going to land on things that, that people typically might not if you're um, if you're on your own. And then after you've done your build, going back and doing those things, I, that's something I really try to do is not absorb any other content, at least until I do my initial builds. Um, just cause it lets me think a little bit more freely, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, it is. It's it's such. Uh, I feel like I'm saying this about a bunch of stuff, but it's such a delicate balance between. I do want to know what the field is doing, but I don't want to get anchored and swayed yeah. into certain things. And that's why the thing that keeps me anchored is uh, looking at very few inputs. I want to look yeah. at the value. What's the kind of points per dollar I'm getting here? Who are just the the great values? What's the ceiling projection? And what's the ownership? And now, of yeah. course, this year, I'm excited to have the sim results as well to compare that to just kind of what is the math showing us. And just by I could look at my stuff and remove the names and just look at those four inputs alone. And I start to feel really good. That's why when I hop on here, I can immediately say, holy cow, let's look at Aaron Jones compared to Devontae Adams or Derrick Henry compared to A.J. Brown. And you're not sacrificing that much ceiling and you're getting a ton of ownership discounts. So it's almost for me keeping it really simple and also, as you said, keeping it flexible and fluid because the slate does get flipped on its head on Sundays a good amount of the time. Yeah, you you asked me, and, and again, you just kind of reminded me of something. You asked me about kind of trying to figure out the ownership percentages between these high-stakes, um, low-entry fields and um, these bigger contests that, that a lot of people might be playing. And one thing I will say is that um, at these higher stakes, typically um, these players are – in theory, some of the sharpest players in the world, right? So they're typically going to be a lot more salary sensitive. So we are going to see ownership shifts uh, shift a lot more um, based on players that are, even if it's just like a slight miscalculation in their salary, you're going to see that reflected a lot more in um, in these smaller tournaments than you will in something like the millionaire. Like the, it's just way more salary sensitive and that could have a huge fluctuation on like a, a average ownership projection that you might see for the millionaire for sure um let's start to get into a little slate specific stuff here as much as i i love doing uh all the macro stuff yeah. i think it's so valuable it is fun to dive in and try to apply this to the slate Drico reminded me here um christian mccaffrey been been practicing this week what's your read on him and how do you think he does impact kind of ownership I, probably specifically as it pertains to derrick henry there at the top end I think unless we get a, and this is, I mean, we're recording this Friday morning, so much changes between Friday and Sunday. I think unless we get like a definitive statement that CMC is going to be 100% and get his 90% backfield share or something, I think he will come in way less owned than Derrick Henry. Um, I, I don't think it'll push it way down. If he is 100% going to get all of the snaps. I think we'll start to see um, Henry's ownership come down and CMC. I don't think CMC will be chalky, um, but I, I mean, I'm talking here between him being like sub 5% between him being like 12 and a half percent. And that's now when you have two players that are that much in their own salary range, they're just naturally going to eat into each other's ownership. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be interesting to keep tabs on. I, I have zero inside sources or anything, but my <laughs> yeah, gut says he doesn't play uh, this week. Yeah. It's just kind of how it feels very rushed, and I just don't know why they would why would they would risk it. I mean, we see like you see the Dalvin Cook quotes, and they're so frustrating. It's like I'm not 100, percent but I'm just going to keep playing. And it's like, what are we yeah, doing I, here? I, yeah, and I, I think if you just think about it from a um, from how people play DFS. If CMC is a game time decision, they're they're the early game, right? They're they're the the one yeah. PM game. Yeah. So if, if it comes out at nine thirty that he's active, are all of these Derrick Henry lineups just going to switch to CMC just because he's active? Like probably not, right? No. 
And then people aren't going to people that don't have Henry. They're not going to completely flip their builds because he changes your build completely. If you roster him, right? All these people that built Sunday aren't going to our Saturday. They're not going to com- start from scratch because CMC is active, right? An injured CMC. So I think even if he is active, most likely we see him well under 10%. And I don't think Henry's changed as much. Yeah. Um, wanted to pull up just some of the optimal lineups right now that the run the Sims optimizer spitting out, see if anything kind of jumps out to us as, as surprising as, uh, as maybe predictable. What, what's your take on, uh, the Trey Lance? Because I feel like if we didn't have the kind of uncertainty with Jimmy Garoppolo's health and it was just like Garoppolo's out, Lance is starting. I feel like he would have gotten steamed to be the highest owned quarterback on the slate. Uh, I, I, and I think he'll still be up there in one of the more popular plays. Um, but I, I think it sets up really interesting opportunity because I think, um, if he does end up, I don't know if he's going to be more popular than, than Kyler. Let me look at my ownership projection real quick. I, I think he'll be more, I think he could approach Dak. Uh, I don't think, I don't think Kyler's going to be that popular at 8,000. Yeah. I, yeah. So that's what I was going to say is like, I, Kyler, one thing I've noticed with Kyler, and again, this goes back to the um, the difference in salary structures between FanDuel and DraftKings. He's been one of the most extreme players in terms of like high ownership on FanDuel, low ownership on, on DraftKings. So it kind of naturally makes me want to go um, to have some Kyler because I think that's just a very interesting scoring environment. Dak's probably going to be the most popular quarterback on the slate. And I think Trey Lance can start sneaking up there. Um, so I like, like if you can get the QB one and DK scoring as like the QB six and ownership, I think that sets up a really good leverage opportunity, especially, especially if chase Edmonds is out and we see James Connor start like getting up in that like 15 to 20% ownership range. Um, then I think I'm all over Kyler in tournaments. Yeah. Uh, I'm with you. I ended up building some Kyler double stacks last week because I was like, why is no one going to play uh, an MVP double stack in the highest over under game of the week? But just because of pricing and I think they're not being a very clean stacking partner that people have been just kind of going away from it. I kind, but I kind of like that though, right? Oh, because I do too. We, we yeah. have we have the we have the, the one of the highest scoring offenses in the league, the highest scoring draft uh, quarterback by DraftKings points in the league, and people are like, I don't really want to stack them because I don't know who to stack them with. Well that's great for me because now all of his pass catchers are going to be sub 10%. Nobody wants to play one of the best receivers in recent history because he has four games with a seven target average. It's like, yeah, well, we also have 50 games where he has a 11 target average, right? So what do you think is more likely to happen that nuke is going to be behind AJ green and a rookie for 17 games, or that we have a one month sample that at the end of the season, we're saying is kind of noise and we should have seen this. Like I want to be on, on nuke before everyone else is. I was just going to ask you, are you team, you know, go down to two of the three cheap guys or you want, is, is it finally a bounce back week for nuke? I, I told Hulk, Hulk asked me this question earlier. And I said, if, if this keeps happening, I'm, I'm probably going to lose my entire, I'm, you were talking about being solvent. I'll probably be insolvent from chasing nuke. Cause I just can't, you can't convince me that he's going to be behind these guys all year. Yeah, he has he's been practicing in full this week, right? I believe so. Yeah, which is important because I don't think he was healthy the past couple yeah. weeks. Yeah. Um, one other kind of wrinkle to this slate, um, that I'm I guess I'm a little confused by. I'm not seeing a ton of steam for Damian Williams and P Ryan. 
And that kind of surprises me. Is it because everyone just feels so good about Leonard Fournette down there? Well, we, we heard, um, the Bengals co Zach Taylor come out and said that if Mixon's not active, it's going to be a committee. Like he straight up said that. Right. So it makes sense that people wouldn't be on P Ryan. The Damian Williams one really surprised me. I projected him as like the, I do my initial projections Thursday morning. Um, I projected him as tied for the RB four in terms of ownership on DraftKings, like kind of tied with Deandre Swift and Alvin Kamara. Um, so, but that's still like, <clears throat> excuse me, sub 20%. Um, I guess it does just have to do with the pricing because he's only 400 more than uh Fournette. So I guess he kind of works as a price fit. I was kind of hoping Damian Williams was going to be more popular because one of the players that just really popped for me this week was Henry Ruggs. And I was hoping that if Williams ended up like 25%, then I have a huge leverage playing Ruggs. But um, it's one we're going to have to track. But yeah, I think it just has to do with the fact that um, Williams and Fournette are only $400 apart. That's that's the only thing I could think of. Yeah, and, and and I mean Chicago is is an underdog, and Tampa Bay is a huge favorite. Um, and and Chicago's offense hasn't looked great. And I guess there's the question of how does Justin Fields impact Damian Williams' rushing attempts? Um, but Raiders, if we adjust for strength of schedule, they haven't been great versus running back. So there there's obviously questions there. But um, yeah, I guess if Fournette didn't have 20 touches last week, Damian Williams is like a 30 percent play. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Yeah. And I think just Damian Williams, you know, compared to a P Ryan, there's not a, a Chris Evans there behind Damian Williams with, with no right. Tariq Cohen. That's just going to cap his pass catching. Like I, I assume he's just going to be a near one for one for David Montgomery. Yeah. And yeah, I, I agree with that too. And then again, like, like I said, I mean, I have him at 15 to 20%. So with flat, with the flat ownership we've been talking about, that's still relatively chalky. So I think I could still like do something like be on my rugs playing a week where Waller is like the, the, well, I, um, Kittle is on the slate, but with Kelsey off the slate, Waller, a popular high end tight end. I still, I think I'll still end up like having rugs as one of my favorite GPP plays. I, uh, I hadn't, uh, honed in on rugs yet, but now that I look at my stuff there, um, he looks, he looks very nice as far as uh, the, the, top 20 guys in ceiling projection. He has by far the lowest ownership percentage of those 20. Yeah. I talked to him about Holka, like usually going into my, whatever you call it, my research, going into my player pool selection. Um, I, I usually have a pretty good intuitive sense of where I'm going to be. It's, it's pretty rare that somebody just straight up pops off the page that I wasn't thinking of at all. And rugs was that guy for me this week. And that's why I'm excited about him. Um, we do an expected points model at four for four, for our uh, breakout receiver model. He's top 17 and in expected fantasy points among all pass catchers over the last three weeks um top eight in air yards he saw a season high in snaps last week with 81 percent chicago bottom seven and uh deep completions allowed Derek carr top three in intended air yards i just kept seeing all these like if you go like back to a couple years ago the flow the flow chart talk yeah. like he, he started hitting all my flow charts out of nowhere and i was like whoa this is this is a good spot here for rugs yeah for sure uh are there any other names just kind of uh on this uh set of optimal lineups that stand out to you as surprising i mean I, I am seeing a, the the Kirk Cousins double stacks uh, there with Justin Jefferson, Tyler Conklin looks pretty interesting to me at that kind of ownership as well. And the fact that the math is is jamming them in these lineups is intriguing to me. Um, One name that is 
popping up in the lineups a lot that makes me pretty nervous is Jacoby Myers. Yeah. Um, I, I think obviously the volume is there for Jacoby um, and, and we expect the touchdown regression to happen. Right. But when they've got in the red zone and near the goal line, they've been targeting their tight ends, whether it's Hunter Henry or John Smith. Um, so I think in, in a week where we have, you mentioned there's a lot of mid tier tight ends that are, um, that are popping in, in, in lineup generators or as optimal plays um, that actually makes me want to go more contrarian because it means there's just a lot of players that we're unsure about at a position that's extremely volatile. So John Smith, even though he hasn't had the the snaps or routes as Henry, he's uh, top of the league in targets per routes run uh, tied for uh, among tight ends uh, tied for the most targets inside the 10 yard line among tight ends. So if Jacoby ends up, being near 20%, I actually, and especially in really large field stuff, I think John is a super interesting put. Yeah, I, I like that thought there too. Yeah, Jacoby feels like this week's Odell Beckham, who at the beginning <laughs> of the week felt a little sneaky. Oh, and then man. by the end of the week, everyone's like, oh, 5,600. Uh, I love this. And he does, I mean, he was in the air yards by low model, uh, too cheap relative to his role. But I think the ownership is going to outpace uh, what you're actually getting there. Go go back in time until 2017 us that we're calling Jacoby this week's Odell. <laughs> Seriously. Rough. Yeah. Life it, it's funny too. I was like <laughs> answering uh start sick questions, you know, last night for uh uh the fantasy life app. Yeah. Uh and you can I'm catch me there these- Saturdays at 2 p.m. Pacific time on the fantasy. There you life, go. Right? Yeah. Also shout out uh Bet Spurts uh in the the four for four gang over there. Yeah, man. Um what was I gonna say? Oh yeah. I, everyone's asking me these Cordero Patterson questions. And I'm like, Patterson, Patterson. why would you do that? Yeah. And it's just like, how fast does life come where Patterson oh, is just the de facto answer to any start sick question. It's yeah. I, I, that's actually really funny because I, I tweeted last week, uh, my preseason me wasn't prepared to be debating Michael Carter versus Cordero Patterson rest of season. And that was before his big game. Yeah. It's uh, it's wild. And now, of course, we have no Calvin Ridley. We have no Russell Gage. And it's like, all right, Cordell Patterson, more touches on tap. Yeah. Hey, Europe, here's uh, the Falcons and the Jets. Have fun. Yeah. There's your PSA. appreciate you guys. Uh, Might have to get up early, play some showdown uh, for that slate. Um, Let's uh, do what we always do here and wrap up building uh, a lineup. Once again, get a plug, Deposit Kingdom Weekly League. Let me refresh here. See. How many entries we are up to? We got to fill this out of 350. How many? How many? How many? Uh, up to 263. So this will get filled by uh, by tomorrow afternoon. Uh, and I will pump it on Twitter. So don't force me. I want to keep this for just people watching the show in the Discord, all that good stuff. Fill this contest. TJ, I'm going to give you the honors. It can be a leverage point. It can be a stack. Where do you want to start with this lineup? Um, let's go with the player that I'm most excited about. And, uh, Henry Ruggs. Ho- hopefully, Damian Williams doesn't end up being pretty chalky. Darren Waller, I think, could get some uh, run. Even even uh, Darnell Mooney might get a little bit of steam by Sunday. So I think Ruggs can end up being a, a pretty good ownership. Ruggs ownership getting Ruggs now too. Or are people are people pumping. Is Ruggs going to get steamed? No, he's saying the steam is coming from inside the house. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, it, yeah. It's our or- fault. It's our fault. Corey's mad at us about talking about Kyler. Drico's mad about us uh, talking uh, about. Uh, I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and say 20% of the the millionaire field isn't listening to us. So go. Uh, so so play the millionaire. You know, don't play any of the low stakes stuff that we're talking about. Everybody or high stakes stuff we're talking about. Everybody's listening to us there. 
Go play so, the millionaire this week. So just real quick on the rugs, are you um are you interested in him fully as a one-off or are there like a mini correlation and kind of really hope that this game paces up? I, I think you can use it both ways. Um, I, I don't mind it as a mini correlation. I actually don't even love Fournette this week. So I'm I'm actually into having a mini with Damien. Yeah, I kind of like the Damien play too, just because I think his ownership is going to stay more in check than he would on a normal week where we didn't have these exact dynamics yeah. um, with Fournette and P. Ryan. So yeah, let's get that mini correlation in. I'll do that one and uh, we'll toss it back to you. Um, I mean, I, I, when I do these lineup builders on shows, I like to stick to my guns. So, uh, it's probably going to, uh, pigeonhole us into a bit of a studs and duds build, but let's see what we can do with Kyler and nuke. All right, let's do it. So we're going to do Kyler. We are going, and I, I should note now that we're, we're building right here. Like one thing that I've noticed in across the, the industry, whether you're playing DraftKings, FanDuel or Yahoo, um, and it, it could just be. It could just be noise. We're only four weeks into the season, but a lot of top lineups have been stacks without a bring back. Um, now that I'm not saying we should stop doing bring backs, but I, I think that a lot of times people can get into these. Um, you can just kind of get in your comfort zone, right? And 100 out of 100 lineups you build are a stack with a bring back. That's just what we get used to. So I do think some of our lineups should be stacks without bring backs. Yeah, and it's interesting you said that because I think base where we're at as far as salary, I don't think we can afford a Debo or yeah. Kittle bring back. So then yeah. really the only conversation is, do we have a stomach for Brandon Ayuk at 4,500? Yeah, I, I think we could find some uh, some cheaper plays elsewhere. Yeah, I, I, it's one of those things too. I think we can, we can leave it and come back to it. We actually yeah. did this with a tilt space lineup. Uh, I believe it was when the Bills played Washington and we built our we built our Josh Allen double stack. We're like, what do we want to do for our bring back? We filled out the rest and then we're like, oh, 5,900 Antonio Gibson here fits perfect. Then mm -hmm. just break the tie in favor of the correlation, but yeah. not necessarily going and absolutely forcing it. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I agree. Um, all right, let me see here. I, we do want to save ourselves a little bit of money. Maybe yeah. I'll pick out a tight end for us here that mm -hmm. I think looks nice. Let's go with let's go with Tyler Conklin here. Yeah. Um, I like that. I think he saves us money. We can correlate it if we want. Um but just a, a lower owned cheap tight end I think makes mm -hmm. sense in this lineup. Yeah. Um uh, do you want another pick for me? Yeah, we're going to we'll ping pong back and forth. Um I I I typically don't like um cheap wide receiver shock, but we're already pretty contrarian in this lineup and I think there's multiple um cheap wide receivers that can get some popularity. So I don't mind having kind of like a chalky Visca in this lineup. Ooh, Dig it, dig it. Uh, nice lineup here. Let me check on Visca. Yeah. And I don't think I'm seeing him at about 11% right now. What do you Okay. Seeing? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I have him at, um, I think I have him about 15% and we project in ranges at, at four, four. So he's in that same 11% range. Okay. I'm going to keep letting you make the fun picks because that's what, uh, that's the people are here for. Um, right. you already kind of put us on this one. And I think this makes a ton of sense. If we are fading this DAC double stack is let's go ahead and put the Cowboys defense in here at 28. Oh yeah. I like that a lot. So that leaves us 6,000 here for a running back in flex. So definitely some options here for how we want to do this. Um, uh, Arizona is early and Chicago's early. Is that right? Uh, Arizona's late. Arizona's late. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so we kind of, we kind of went against our, we kind of went against our, um, 
discussion of having like our contrarian plays early, but we do have rugs early. Um, I think, did you say you took, okay, you have, you have nuke in the flex. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Um, what does it look like if we go with Zeke Dallas, um, correlation? What does that leave us a wide receiver? Yeah. Let's see here. If we go him at 7,000, that leaves us 5,100, which opens up the double stack options with Kyler if you wanted to go that route because you could afford Green more or Kirk at that price. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think you need you said we have fifty one hundred. If if we go with Zeke, then we would have fifty one hundred. I, I don't think you necessarily have to. We have um what six correlated players in this lineup right now. We have a Ruggs Damian, a Kyler Nuke and a and it would be a Zeke Cowboy. So like you don't need to go overly correlated if you don't want to. Um I kind of like going with another cheaper receiver and not and maybe leaving 300 bucks of salary on the table depending on what um what other defenses there are, but I kind of like a Waddle uh LaVisca um double at for 4800 salary. And yeah. that leaves us with 300, right? Like we don't have to spend all we can look at the defenses or or running backs and see who's there, obviously, when we have salary, but I don't think you have to do it. Yeah, um, this is um, – I think this lineup makes sense. One other combo I just wanted to see is if if we did correlate LaVisca with an A.J. Brown. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how much that would give us 56. At running back? At running back, which puts you in a little weird territory. I guess you're like looking at – then you're almost forced to play Lenny. Yeah. Which that doesn't feel great to me Mm -hmm. in that case. Yeah. I I don't, if you're playing like, like what I think one thing that I def, if, if I'm going like chalky somewhere, like I think Damien is kind of chalky, like chalky doubling up on chalk at the same price point, I think is usually pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, I'm just seeing if what other kind of, if you get up to 5,700 Miles Sanders, isn't, uh, close to getting to the kind of Kareem Hunt. James Conner at 56 is interesting. In a but, Kyler we are, but we already have Kyler lineup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it, you run into a little bit of a dead yeah. in there. You could you could punt defense. Like, you could go, you could play Texans defense at home versus Mac. Yeah, I, I think if you're going to be completely off of that Cowboys game, I, I think the defense just makes a ton of sense to have. Yeah. I, I will say if you were to just punt it off, you could get in Swift there and do like a little mini correlation with Conklin. Swift gives you some nice upside. So there's some there's some ways you could re-engineer this lineup, and mm-hmm. I still think have it in a pretty good spot. Yeah. Um But I like I, I do like the is final is final call on me. Is that what your is that what your pause is? Me making the final call? No, I think we already <laughs> had your final call. Okay, it was okay, Waddle yeah. and Zeke, right? Yeah, yeah. That, I like that a lot actually. I like I like showing a few different variations at the end. Sure, we can't sure. have everyone dupe in the same lineup, you know. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, absolutely. Um, well, TJ, I appreciate you swinging by. Always good to talk shop with you. Hear your thoughts. Glad to hear your season is going well. You guys yeah. got all kinds of good stuff going on at four for four over there. DFS MVP. What else uh, should the people be looking for? 
Yeah, the, the regular DFS MVP actually comes out tonight where we cover uh, value on, on both slates. Um, but we have a lot of other shows. Yahoo uh, values come out with Matt Harmon every Saturday. That's on the uh, DFS MVP and the Yahoo podcast feed. And if you want my final thoughts on what we talked about today, we do a Discord uh, show for subscribers only on Sunday morning. That's a Jordan Vanek, uh, 8 a.m. Pacific time. We're doing like a full final rundown of GPP Sunday morning. So check that out if you haven't subscribed yet. Yeah, there you go. That's uh, what eleven p.m. Eastern. Yeah, whatever time is way over there. Perfect. I, right, I go on Pacific time. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, awesome. I will be back. Um, actually, going to be back in ninety minutes. We're going to do splash play with John Daigle from NBC Sports Edge, and then I will be back on Sunday a.m. Uh, at ten thirty a.m. Eastern uh, to talk through all the latest movements with injuries, all that good stuff. So, thank you to TJ from 4 for 4. Check them out over there. I'm Pete Overzet. I'll see you guys in a few.